As you take your seats, if you take out your Bibles and turn to the fourth chapter of Luke's Gospel, while you're turning there, every once in a while, all Scripture is written by God for our instruction and righteousness, for reproof and correction. But every once in a while, there's a part of the Bible that seems to be a silver platter of the Lord just speaking directly into each and every one of our lives that we can lay hold of and apply. As we begin chapter 4 here in Luke's Gospel, we find one of those passages of Scripture, to me, uh, one of the more applicable parts of the life of Jesus. As we turn our attention here to chapter 4, to the first 13 verses, we find what is commonly known as the temptation of Jesus. And just to stop you for a moment in your thinking and in your tracks mentally, let me just say this to you. If the devil is so bold as to attempt to test the Lord Jesus himself, what do you think he's going to do to you? Sometimes I think the body of Christ is almost walking around in a level of ignorance like, eh, you know, I'm okay. The devil hates you. He is not called a destroyer for nothing. He's not called the deceiver for nothing. He, he is not called the father of all lies for nothing. His whole goal is to upset the spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional apple cart of your life, to flip it over on its head, and to destroy you if he possibly can. A second thing I want to draw your attention to as we begin chapter 4. Look what has happened in Jesus' life. Now, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And in that flesh, he is about to be led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. When did this happen? Directly after we hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We call this Pastor's Monday Temptation. Because here's what happens, almost without exception, when the Lord has done a wonderful thing in your life, when you have achieved maybe a great spiritual victory, when something wonderfully bold has happened in your walk with the Lord, and God is able to say about you, you made it through some temptation or test or perhaps some trial in your life, and God has been able to say, well done, Guess who's going to come the following morning? El Diablo. The devil. Because he hates the fact that you just had a victory. And in the midst of that victory, maybe even in the afterglow of that victory, the devil's going to, you don't believe that, do you? You, you actually trust God? What is wrong with you? Don't you know that that isn't even true? You see, if Satan is so bold as to attempt to test the Lord Jesus directly after Jesus has had the Holy Spirit descend and land on him, he's made this public proclamation of his own personal ministry in Galilee, and God the Father spoke from heaven and said, Good job, son. If Satan's so bold to do that, 
I think you might be in his crosshairs. Would you join me? We'll pray. We'll pick up the first 13 verses here of Luke 4. Father, we come as your kids, as your children, as your church, and we ask that you would speak to us, Lord, through your word. Jesus, thank you for this incredible example of your victory over the devil. Lord, greater is he who's in us than he who's in this world, but sometimes we forget that truth and we let the enemy in. God, strengthen us to hear from heaven the power of your word. Lord, would we walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, would we always seek to be well-pleasing to you and to speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Luke chapter 4. And then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil himself. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. We must not ever forget that Jesus was 100% a human being, a man. He can identify with everything that you have ever gone through. That you yourself as a human being are subject to the exact same temptations that we're going to see in the life of the Lord Jesus in this passage. That you're not immune. Your pastor is not immune to the devil attempting to discourage, dissuade, and destroy me, my family, my walk with the Lord, my time with the Lord Jesus. You know, sometimes I think that Many people believe that there's some kind of holy protective bubble around pastors that keeps us from being attacked. And in fact, I think in a very strange way, perhaps not only is that not true, but the opposite may be actually the case. We get assigned a few extra demons. Like they're hovering around just waiting for a moment. If Satan tried to test Jesus, I guarantee you he's coming after you. Here's the good news. Greater is he who's in us. Amen? But you have to seize that truth. And you have to fight the good fight of faith. Because it is not an automatic day-by-day victory. It is a victory that's won through prayer, through the word of God, and through our walk in the spirit. You have to seize what has already been won for you. And we're going to see Jesus, in that sense, take the word of God and battle with Satan himself. He's led out into this place that's not far from Jerusalem. It's only about eight miles from Jerusalem, called Quaratinia. And this particular overlook, we actually go there when we travel to Israel. And as you look out over it, this is what it looks like today. It isn't like, oh, wow, let's go out into the wilderness and have some fun. I think there's a campground out there somewhere. No, it is still to this day some of the driest, most desolate places that you will ever see on the face of the earth. This desert extends down through the Negev, through the southern part of Israel, goes right on down into Egypt and into Saudi Arabia as well. It is absolutely some of the most desolate place that you will ever see. And yet it is here that by the Spirit, notice what your Bible says. 
This is not an accident. This just, you know, Jesus didn't kind of stumble into the desert and, and all of a sudden, oh no, there's the devil. No, he's actually led there by the Holy Spirit. Why? For you, for me, for us. Because in his humanity, Jesus representing every last person in this room, all those watching online, in fact, everyone throughout all of time, Jesus was about to show us what it's like to be victorious in him. He's going to get tested the way you get tested. How do you get tested? You get tested in your body. You get tested in your spirit. And you get tested in your mind. You get tested to worship something other than God. You get tested to not follow the will of God. And you will be tested whether you believe the word of God as well. These ways Jesus himself is going to be tested. And Jesus is not only going to thrive in this environment, but he's going to show you and I exactly how to do battle in this place. And as you look at this incredibly desolate scene, the mountain probably is the mountain. They believe that the mountain that you see to the right of the screen is the mountain upon which Jesus was actually tempted. Now as you look at this, Remind yourself of the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, what he said, seeing then, verse 14 of Hebrews 4, that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus came from and through the heavens to earth. Amen? He was born in a manger as a child, but he was still God. He came from heaven to earth. His name is Jesus. That's his earthly name. When someone met Jesus, they didn't call him, O Son of God. They called him Yehoshua, God who is salvation. They said, here's Jesus. That was his name. When you talk to me, you call me Jeff. I usually call people by their first name. We're kind of on first name basis. When someone met Jesus, his name was Jesus. But he was Jesus, the Son of God. Amen? So he had a name. He was human, but he was also God's son. So let us hold fast to our confession. Our confession is, Jesus Christ, my Lord, is the son of God. That's who he is. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Anybody in here have weaknesses? I do. If I could stand on no feet, I would put the other one up. I have weaknesses. I have places where the enemy can attack me. Connie and I were getting away for a few days, and we get a phone call. We're supposed to be enjoying ourselves and resting a little bit, and her dad, who is 90, is back in the hospital. We're supposed to be away, getting a little rest, and we get a phone call that her dad may not live the rest of the week. By the way, I'll give you the good news. He's being discharged from the hospital today. I don't want to get you too far into this. The Lord healed him again. He's 90. He's been battling leukemia for 10 years. He's got double pneumonia right now. 
And we're going, Connie's not going to see your dad alive on this earth. That afflicts your mind. That grabs hold of your emotions. Jesus was tempted and tested in every single way that you can be tempted or tested. There was a moment, Lord, why now? Couldn't you have held this off? You're sovereign king of the universe. There is a purpose in every test. There is a purpose in every trial. There is a purpose in your pain. There is a purpose in your joy. There is a purpose in your understanding. And there is a purpose in your lack of understanding. From God's perspective, our high priest was in all ways, Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin. That's your Jesus. That's my Jesus. His mind was afflicted. His emotions were ripped at the seams. And his body was tormented like no other human being has ever experienced. He was tempted in every single human capacity. That's the beauty of this story. So what's the setting for this temptation? It's the same setting very often that you get tested in and tempted in. Maybe you haven't been in that place uh, recently, but perhaps some of you can identify with where Jesus is at. He's in a very, very, very dry place. Anybody been in a dry place spiritually? Anybody been in that space to where it seems like life is almost like not worth living or dead? Maybe we would call that depression. Jesus, of course, as God, wasn't depressed as we would define it today, but he's in a depressing place. Think of that picture that I just showed you. Not exactly. You, you weren't going out there, hey, let's go have a barbecue in the desert. No, Jesus was led there for some purpose by the Spirit of God to be tested in every single capacity that a human being can be tested in. Jesus was engaged in spiritual warfare, family. If Jesus was engaged in spiritual warfare and he's going to battle in the very same ways that you are going to battle, then maybe we should look at this passage and go, Lord, help me learn from the life of Jesus. Notice verse 3. Here's the first temptation. And you can see this very clearly. This is about the will of God. It is an attack thereby on his flesh. You are flesh. You're a body. You are also spirit. That is eternal. And you are a mind. That's where all your emotions and thinking takes place. So in that sense, you're three parts. Three component parts as a human being. They're all kinds of little subparts, but if you were to define a human being, I have a physical body, I have a mind, and I have a spirit. That spirit is the eternal part that will live someplace if you're saved in heaven and if you're not in a place you don't want to go. But notice how this test goes. And the devil said to him, verse 3, if you are the son of God, notice the doubt, if you are the son of God, the accusation, oh, God didn't mean that, as he said to Eve. 
If you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Don't follow the will of God. What was the will of God? That Jesus be in the wilderness fasting. He was led there by the Spirit. So the will of God, Jesus was not supposed to be eating. He was supposed to be denying himself. For some reason that is unknown to us, the Spirit of the living God led Jesus, the Son of God, into the wilderness, created by God the Father, through Christ the Son, to be tested in the wilderness. So the will of God was Jesus was supposed to be hungry. Till Satan comes to him and said, look, if you're God, prove it. Turn these stones into bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is the first test. You're going to face this test. You will go through tests in your life frequently and often, whether you will choose the will of God or the will of the world. Whether you will follow your flesh or follow the spirit of the living God. Whether you will do what the word of God says, whether you will actually walk in the word, or whether you will deny the truth of the word. Those things are related to your humanity. You can almost hear the devil's voice. First he says, we'll command these stones to bread. Now we don't know what else was said. But you can almost imagine the devil there mocking. Look at you. If you're God's son, you're skin and bones. This is ridiculous. Any of you ever been in situations where you go, this isn't fair? I shouldn't be like this. Do you know who I am? And welling up inside of you is that human pride. I deserve better than this. Anybody ever have that? Maybe it's just me. Oh, I've had those moments. Well, I can't believe this is happening to me. I deserve better than this. The enemy comes and tests you. He says, you deserve better than this. Take this on yourself. You just do what you should do. We're in tax time, right? I got 67 deductions. Sure, I can take that exemption right there. Yeah, I don't actually meet the qualifications for it, but, you know, Uncle Sam just got too much of my money anyway. You see, the will of God is that you render under Caesar the things that are Caesar and under God the things that are God's. There's no place in Scripture that says there's holy lying. Amen? Well, I'm just lying for God. I'm going to give God 3% of this if I get it back. No, the Lord's speaking into your life saying, look, this is the will of God. Speak ye the truth, therefore always. But the temptation comes. Oh, I deserve better than this. I hope I didn't offend too many people. No, I'm not actually sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Jesus simply refused to take matters in his own hands. I won't do it. And instead he responds with the word of God. Look, God's will is, I'm going to live by the word of God. I'm not going to listen to you, devil. Jesus refused in that sense to become a Saul. 
wasn't just going to be mighty and take care of it himself. He said, even if it costs me something, I'm going to do exactly what my father wants. The second temptation, the first is about the will. Notice how the second is about the worship of God. And then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, probably to the top of Quarantina. Just look. And the devil said to them, all this authority I will give to you. Anybody hear a little bit of what's going on there? That's a full-blown stone lie. The devil had no capacity to give to God what was already God's. The earth and the fullness of it is the Lord's. It wasn't even his to give away. But he lies to you and says, oh, I control this stuff. The devil cannot give you what he does not own, and he does not own anything. Nothing. Oh, but he'll try and convince you he owns it. You need to do things my way, and then I can treat you good. But if you keep doing the stuff that Jesus wants you to do, you're going to miss out on all the goodies. And the devil said, all authority I will give you. And their glory... For it's been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. He can't even make good on that promise. And therefore, if you will worship me, there it is. Make me God. Wasn't that exactly what he desired from the very beginning? That's what Isaiah 14 says. I will become like the Most High God. I will exalt my throne above the fathers in heaven. He's been trying to do that since day one. And all of this will be yours. Notice what Jesus says to him. And Jesus answered and said, verse 8, Get behind me, Satan. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Well, let's talk. Let's debate about this. Tell me more. He said, get out of here, loser. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. All of these retort passages are from the book of Deuteronomy. The book of the law. The Jewish people knew these things from day one, basically. He said, get behind me. Satan is saying, worship me. Jesus is saying, take a hike, loser. But so many Christians refuse to take and own what they own. The kingdoms of this world belong to our God and we are his kids. This is our inheritance. It doesn't belong to Satan. And so you've got to tell the devil to take a hike. Now I'm going to tell you that's not going to be easy because the enemy's going to go, oh, you're going to give up all that I offer you? You're going to do things the Jesus way? Well, how's that working out for you? Did you get your new home? No, I control the banking system. I control the political arena. And while there's some truth, the the God of this age is pretty crafty. He is no match for Jesus. Too many Christians believe somehow that the devil is the equal and opposite of Jesus. That is not true, family. 
Christ is the victor, Satan is the loser. Amen? That's the truth. Here's the problem. Satan isn't giving up. He's not surrendering. He refuses to make a concession speech. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know how we always wait after the election for whoever the person who lost the election, they're going to come out and say, yeah, so-and-so beat me, and, you know, and I want to thank them for their wonderful race and all the things that happened, and I'm conceding defeat in this case. The enemy is not conceding defeat. He's going to run around, oh, you're not, no, I'm winning. He's going to keep lying to you. He's going to keep telling you things that he wants you to hear. And Jesus takes out the sword of the Spirit and says, take a hike. I'm worshiping my Father. You're nothing compared to him. Notice the third temptation. This one is about the Word of God. So you have the will of God, the worship of God, and the Word of God. And then he brought him to Jerusalem. That spot on that mountaintop is about eight miles as the crow flies to Jerusalem. He could have walked there in a day easily. We don't know whether Jesus was actually physically transported. That is likely. This was an exchange in the heavenlies. But nonetheless, the example is exactly uh, what, what it says here. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And why is this important? Because that was the center of all Jewish life. The pinnacle of the temple is the southeast corner of the temple platform. It's over 100 feet from the top of that wall to the ground. It's another 120 feet to the valley floor. So Jesus is a couple hundred feet up in the air. And Satan's standing there with him and says, just chuck yourself off of here. Now, I don't know about any of you in here. That's not something I'm going to be tempted to do for any reason. But I want you to see how Satan twists the word of God to try and convince Jesus to do something while not even acknowledging the actual context and what the rest of the Bible plainly declares. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now notice verse 13, please. You see any quit in the devil? And now the devil ended every temptation and he departed from him until. Please circle that and then underline what follows an opportune time. This does not say that the devil goes, oh, man, he beat me. The devil just went off whining someplace into the wilderness. No, the devil basically said, okay, you got me today, but I'm coming back. You won this round, but I'm going to get you as soon as I can possibly find an opportunity. Church, listen up. That's you. You may win a victory. You may be walking in the Spirit. God's done incredible things in your life. You're going, yay, Jesus, the Lord is awesome. And the next morning you get kicked in the forehead. You didn't see it coming. 
And so notice what is attacked here. Jesus is attacked exactly the same way you will be attacked. The will of God, the worship of God, and the word of God. And how do those attacks happen? We can condense it. As Jesus is attacked, these three basic virtues of Christian life are being attacked simultaneously. He attacks the faith, because where's the faith? That's in the will of God. Jesus will attack your, will not attack your faith. Satan will attack your faith. God will allow your faith to be tested, but not beyond what you're able to bear. The enemy will try and push your faith over the edge. Well, turn these stones into bread. You know, you deserve it. After all, you're God's son. He's going to attack your hope. My hope is in heaven. Amen? I worship God because I believe he is the only answer to what ails me. And I have believed in the only begotten son of God because my hope is in Jesus. My hope is not in the things of this earth. I, I do not worship this world. I love national parks. I love the wilderness areas of our nation. Uh, I love animals. I'm an animal freak. I go on Instagram. Connie is addicted to Frenchy puppies. I'm like anything with fur is good. But I don't worship it. I'm not a, a, a tree hugger. I used to be a tree hugger. Now I'm just kind of a tree toucher. It's like, that's nice. The enemy is going to attack your hope. And the enemy is going to attack the love of God in you. How do we know the love of God? Through the word of God. God loves you. For God so loved the world. Amen? And this is his love manifest. That he first loved us. Jesus is being attacked exactly the same way you're going to be attacked. Notice how and where he gets attacked. He gets attacked in his body. Amen? When you're starving... If you've never been out trying to find someone who's starving to death, this is an experience that I I can't describe to you fully, but I'll give you a little bit from my time on the San Diego Mountain Rescue Team. We were searching for a man in the Borrego Desert. He had been lost for four days. He began to eat rocks, literally. First started sucking on them to produce some spittum in his mouth to quench his thirst. By the time we found him and he was gone, there were none of his lower teeth at all. They had all been broken down to the gum line from trying to eat rocks because of his hunger. Jesus had his body attacked. He was hungry. He was a man. His stomach was growling like probably some of yours is right now because you didn't eat breakfast. But he's been out in the desert with the devil His spirit was attacked. You see, the spirit is where we meet God. Amen? That's that's our connection point with the Lord. The spirit world. He is spirit. Those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth, right? Truth is also the word, so it's the next one. You, You see, Jesus is getting attacked exactly the same way you get attacked. In his body, in his spirit, And also in his mind, Satan's saying, hey, why don't you just do things my way? 
Oh, don't do that praying thing. Don't turn to your father. Don't do what the word says. Don't, don't pray. Why do you need to pray about it? I mean, it's pretty obvious you're hungry. Just turn the rocks into bread. You'll be fine. Throw yourself off of here. You know, you can just test God all you want. Your Bible says you shall not test the Lord your God. So Satan's going, oh yeah, you can test him. I mean, you're the son of God. Go ahead. Church, as you glean from this passage, as you look at your own life, as you understand what's going on here, you know, Satan could have spoken to you, hey, nobody even, your own brothers don't even know who you are. Nobody knows your name in the Sanhedrin. The enemy's a liar. He's going to speak lies into your life. He's going to say to you, look, just do this. It'll be all right. Now, I want you to notice in this third third little vignette of what's happening here, the devil found it very convenient to both misquote Scripture and to yank it out of its context. This is exactly how the devil will work in your life. He'll give you half-truths. Notice the devil conveniently did not use the end of verse 12 because it says there, you shall tread upon the lion and the adder and the young lion and the dragon you shall trample under your feet. Satan also conveniently left out the words and he shall give his angels charge of you and keep you in all of your ways. You see, the devil only partially quotes scripture. It's like people that I know and I've talked to them and and they played this insane game of Bible roulette. I've actually had people, well, when I want to hear from the Lord, I just flip my Bible open and point, and that's the answer. And he went out and hung himself. Whatever you do, do quickly. There's all kinds of things you could point to in Scripture, unguided by the Holy Spirit, without prayer, without seeking the Lord, that you could come to the very wrong conclusion and every single cult on the planet Earth misquotes Scripture, yanks it out of its context, or uses partial verses. That is a tactic of the devil. So you need to know your Bible. You need to know what it says, and you need to know what it says in context. Not pulled out of context. There's nowhere that your Bible tells you that God wants you to be wealthy. Did you know that? It teaches the principle that God blesses those who bless him, but it doesn't say he's going to give you a bank full of money. So when someone comes to you and says, well, you know, God wants you to be wealthy, if you just plant a seed gift, it's not found in Scripture. That is satanic. That is the enemy trying to rob you of living a life by faith. You you see, you're going to be attacked this way. If Satan can take Jesus to the holy city, to Zion's mountain, and test him, don't you think he can probably come after you? Satan questioned the Father's love when he tempted Jesus to turn those stones into bread. The Father had sent him into the wilderness. Oh, don't trust the Father. And in that sense, he tested Jesus' flesh. He questioned the hope of the Father. 
when he said, look, the kingdoms of the world, let, let me spare you from the cross, was basically what he was saying. You don't need to go to the cross. I can give you all this stuff right now. Don't worry about it. And so he tested Jesus' spirit. He also tested the faithfulness of God the Father when he told Jesus, look, jump off of here. Your father will catch you. He attacked the mind of Jesus. That would have been totally against every human impulse of preservation. As Jesus is standing on the top of the southeast corner, the pinnacle of the temple, looking down, everything within him would have said, don't do this. God gave you a mind for a reason. And it wasn't so you could wander around and go, well, I don't think anymore. Sometimes I talk to Christians like, they got saved, they put their brain in a jar and put it on the shelf. No, God gave you a mind for a reason. He's given you cognition for a reason. We're supposed to be of a sound mind, amen? But Satan's going to attack your mind. He's going to be hyper-spiritual. Sometimes people will say to me, well, what does that mean? you got an example of it right here. Jesus could have been hyper-spiritual. That's right, my father will catch me. I had a guy tell me one time that he had the faith to step in front of a moving bus. Serious. Go, I want to understand where you are spiritually. And I asked him a simple question. Do you have enough faith to step in front of a moving bus? And he said, yes. And I said, that's not faith. That's called idiocy. (laughs) The moving bus will kill you. There is nowhere in Scripture that God says he's going to prevent you from doing things that will harm you. You're testing the Lord when you do that kind of thing. That is hyper-spirituality. That's taking it to an extreme that the Bible does not teach. Nowhere does the Bible say to you, well, just forget about everything, and you're going to have a nice protective bubble around you, so if you fling yourself off of a cliff, you're going to be fine. God gave you a healthy respect for gravity. He's given you an understanding of life and death. He he put into your mind that you, you shouldn't go right now to Wuhan, China, right? None of you are going to go to LAX and go, send me to Wuhan. Why? Because they got a coronavirus going on that's killing people. And so God's telling you by using your mind, influenced by his spirit, don't risk your body. You get it? Those areas are subject to the attack of the enemy. Let's fight the good fight and win, church. Balance your scripture with scripture. If it seems like it maybe is a little off base, then search the scriptures to see whether these things are of God. Too many Christians do the foolish thing of taking partial verses and they base their whole life on some little tiny chunk that's yanked out of context. No, study the whole of the word of God. It's all given to you for instruction, correction, reproof. So the man or the woman of God would be complete and not lacking anything. We have to be people of the word who worship the one true God who are absolutely engaged in following the will of God. So after Satan's three attempts, notice what's happened here. It is the word of God that Jesus uses each time 
to tell the devil to take a hike. See ya. Loser. Now, I'm not asking you to go out and you know, tempt the devil to whack you any harder than he already might. But you are a victor in him. Amen? You already hold the upper hand. The battle's been won, but the war's not over. Now, please hear this well. The war's not over. Notice what it says at the end of verse 13. Until an opportune time would present itself once again. Satan wasn't done with Jesus. He's not done with you. So I have a little story for you. And we'll conclude with this. There was a little girl. She was talking to her father. She'd been in Sunday school. She was given some direction uh, about what to do when temptation comes. And her father was quizzing her on this. He says, so, so what do you do? Because there's cookies in the, in the kitchen right now. And I know you want some of those. What do you do when the temptation comes to go and get those? Even though we told you they're for later, they're for dessert. What do you do? Well, she says, yeah, I, I do get tempted. I get in that place where I just would really like to have them. And sometimes I think about it. But then it's kind of like this, Dad. The devil tries to knock on the door of my heart. And sometimes he knocks really loud. And then what I do is this. I tell Jesus to go get the door. (laughs) Pretty simple theology there, amen? His father goes... Well, does it work? She said, oh, yes. Every time the devil sees Jesus' face, he runs. That's found in James chapter 4, by the way. If you submit yourself to God and resist the devil, he will flee. Amen? That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we should do. We honor the Lord with our minds. We honor the Lord with our spirits. We honor the Lord with our bodies. We do not let the enemy get in and become a false god. We worship the Lord alone. I stand on the word of God, and I try and accomplish the will of God. And if I do that, then when the devil knocks on the door, we can tell Jesus to go get the door. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Maybe you're here and you're Got some area where the enemy's at work. Our prayer team's available in the prayer room. I just simply encourage you to go after service and say, hey, could you pray for me? And fill in the blank. This is what's going on. Maybe you don't know the Lord and you want to. Uh, Today for you is the day of salvation. Again, just go and say, I'd I'd like to know Jesus. I want to have a personal relationship. We want to make that available to you today. But let's walk in victory, church. The Lord really wants to use us and and he uses us best when we're victorious in our own personal walks. And so let's make that the aim and the goal. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for the privilege that we have to be found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And uh, Savior, we thank you for going to the cross and, and purchasing our salvation. Lord, so that we can stand in awe and worship you, that we can accomplish your will. We can walk in your word Lord, there is no weapon that's fashioned against us that can prosper. 
Lord, that all the plans of the enemy one day will be fully brought to nothing. And in the meantime, as the battle rages around us, would you give us great victory? And so, Lord, like this little girl, and when the enemy comes calling, Lord, we just call you to, to go get the door. And help us to resist the enemy and watch him flee. We thank you for your love for us. and pray that you'd bless us as your church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.